Well, it's a soft day here in Salford, I don't mind telling you. It's soft, it's rainy, it's bloody miserable. It is also Thursday, October 20th, 2022. How's your day been? You can tell me, go to the website richieallen.co.uk and chat with me throughout the, the next couple of hours. Two very, very interesting guests I've got for you this Thursday. I'll tell you more about them in a moment. Thank you for finding me as always. Thank you. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Isn't uh, Ryan Christian a top man? Isn't he the last American vagabond, the editor and founder of that terrific news website? He's also a great broadcaster. He'll be with me in around about a half an hour's time to go over, I suppose, the big stories of this week. Ryan Christian, the last American vagabond.com. I'm so happy to be reconnecting with him. Later on, Marilyn Hawes from Freedom from Abuse will join the programme, the Independent in- Inquiry. ICSA, the Independent Inquiry into Child Sex Abuse, has finally published its report, its findings after seven years. What does it mean? What is in the report? We'll get into it with Marilyn a little bit later on. That is Thursday's programme. Please, please, I've said it already, get involved. Leave a message for me at the website richieallen.co.uk. Comment live, do it to me, do it to me one more time. I went to a football match last night. I swear to God and to his son Jesus, I didn't speak a word. I didn't. I was sitting, I was flanked on either side by two complete idiots, two screamers and swearers and general muppets. When I go to football or rugby matches, I don't speak because I try to look after my voice. I mean it, I didn't say a word. Even when United scored their second goal, I didn't, I just sat there. I clapped, of course, but I, I, I have become very good at not screaming. And yet today, I felt a bit ticklish in the throat, which is a bit weird. Anyway, enough of my bloody problems. Let's talk about our problems, our collective problems, because we have many. We have many. There's only one place to start today, and that is with news that UK Prime Minister Liz Truss has only gone and resigned. Surprise, surprise. Oh, yeah. Liz is gone. The unpredictable. Well, that's, that's the, the surprise, surprise you see. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. I missed that. Liz Truss resigned as Prime Minister today and will hang on for another week until they choose a successor. Yet, round about 1.35pm this afternoon, Liz Truss emerged from number 10 and said this to the media and to the world at large. Liz Truss. I came into office at a time of great economic and international instability. Families and businesses were worried about how to pay their bills. Putin's illegal war in Ukraine threatens the security of our whole continent. And our country has been held back for too long by low economic growth. I was elected by the Conservative Party with a mandate to change this. We delivered on energy bills, 
and on cutting national insurance. And we set out a vision for a low-tax, high-growth economy that would take advantage of the freedoms of Brexit. I recognise, though, given the situation, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. This morning I met the chairman of the 1922 committee, Sir Graham Brady. We've agreed that there will be a leadership election to be completed within the next week. This will ensure that we remain on a path to deliver our fiscal plans and maintain our country's economic stability and national security. I will remain as Prime Minister until a successor has been chosen. Yes. Thank you. And off she went back into number 10. To her credit, she didn't do that thing that Theresa May did when she broke down crying. Remember, I love my country. Remember Theresa May, she looked like Bill Bixby turning into the Incredible Hulk. The whole face melted. She didn't do that. She went back in, dignity intact. Not really. Let's hear from the leader of the opposition. His Majesty's opposition. Don't ever forget that, Keir Starmer. Well, what a mess. And this is not just a soap opera at the top of the Tory party. It's doing huge damage to our economy and to the reputation of our country. Interesting he chose to use soap opera as an analogy. Something I've been doing for a long time. And the public are paying with higher prices, with higher mortgages. So we can't have a revolving door of chaos. We can't have another experiment at the top of the Tory party. There is an alternative, and that's a stable Labour government. And the public are entitled to have their say, and that's why there should be a general election. Some sympathy for Liz Trust, her time in office, pretty humiliating. The damage that has been inflicted on the public through higher prices and mortgages is considerable. This is not a soap opera. These are real lives that are being impacted by the mess at the top of the Tory party. There he went again with soap opera. We've had this revolving door. We've had these experiments at the top of the Tory party. The public are entitled to choose between this utter chaos um, and a Labour Party which will stabilise the economy and have got a clear plan for growth, for living standards and for jobs of the future. Isn't there an argument that a general election might actually prolong the instability to an outcome of that general election? Do we need more instability now or just a chance for a clean state and just to stabilise the ship? The risk at the moment is continuing with this chaos, not having a stable Labour government. So that's why there should be a general election. Yeah, we'll leave it there. There should be a general election. I'm not going to subject you to all of the party leaders. Uh, there won't be any Ed Davey of the Lib Dems on this programme. He's about as useful as an elephant in a minefield, isn't he? In fact, I used that pathetic analogy before, that gag, as useful as an elephant in a minefield. And somebody who knows a bit more about elephants than me said that elephants would be actually quite useful in a minefield because they have an incredible sense of smell. So maybe that wasn't the thing to say. We will hear a little bit from the leader of the Scottish, Scottish National Party, Scotland's First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon. <laughs> yes, yeah, the greatest hits tonight, isn't it? It's the greatest hits. No, I'm not going to play 
um, the Green Party leader either. Let's hear a little bit of the real Jimmy Cranky. Well, this is an almighty mess, and it's people, the length and breadth of the UK, who are paying the price of this. You know, I think Liz Truss's early resignation uh, as Prime Minister was probably inevitable the moment she walked into Downing Street. Yeah, before we hear any more from Cranky, it's really ironic to hear Jimmy Cranky and Keir Starmer talk about economic damage done to the country by Liz Truss and by Boris Johnson. If memory serves, and it isn't, or it, it hasn't been that long now, didn't Keir Starmer constantly berate the UK government for not going further on lockdowns and restrictions, which basically trashed the economy, to say little of what those restrictions did to the real health of people? Sturgeon was the same, cackling with glee, cackling, her fingernails growing as she was uh, imposing restrictions week in, week out in Scotland. Not in any position to talk about wrecking the economy, but anyway. But let's trust isn't the problem here. She's the symptom of a much more fundamental problem. You know, a, a broken Tory party, certainly, but also a broken UK political system. Uh, what needs to happen now? Well, on a UK level, there must be a general election. It is a democratic necessity. The idea that the Tories can unite behind a Prime Minister now, uh, any Prime Minister, let alone one that is in the public interest, I think is for the birds. Uh, but fundamentally, uh, the UK now needs to have a democratic choice. For the birds. For the birds. Right. So they're all screaming for a general election. So what's the truth about that? We'll find out in a minute. Uh, Sir John Curtis is a British political scientist. These days, he is Professor of Politics at the University of Strathclyde. Hope I said that correctly. Uh, John Curtis, yeah, University of Strathclyde. Here he tells the BBC News Channel that the collapse of political parties in government, the collapse of governments even, is almost always preceded by a great financial shock. Listen up. Um, the truth is um, uh, parties and governments that preside over a fiscal crisis have nearly always struggled at the ballot box at the subsequent election, uh, the Labour Party after 1948, uh, the Labour Party after 1967, Labour after 1976, the Conservatives after Black Wednesday of 1992, and the Labour Party after the financial crisis of 2008. All of these governments did not remain in office for very long thereafter, and I suspect that's probably going to be the fate of this government. But of course, many an individual Tory MP will be hoping that the party at least recovers from being as much as 30 points behind in the polls, which is where they're at at the moment, because if that were to be the result of a general election, the majority of Tory MPs would be out on their ear. Wipeout! Right? Okay. What about the prospects of a general election later this year or early next year? Remember, this parliament still has more than two years to run. And if the government decides it will run for another two years plus, in theory, it should run because of the Fixed Term Parliament Act. Yeah, he didn't know about that. Well, that's what I'm here for, to remember this stuff. So what about the prospects then, Sir John Curtis? Well, um, it is right that this is the first time since the Parliament of 1935 to 1945, which, of course, was extended because of the Second World War, uh, where we've had uh, more than one change of prime minister within the Parliament. And before that, you have to go back uh, to the middle of the 19th century. So certainly this is a novel experience. But in the end, we do have a parliamentary democracy. And so long as somebody can maintain the confidence of the House of Commons, 
then uh, they will be able to avoid a general election. I think the other big question facing the Conservative Party is, will it be possible for whoever succeeds Liz Truss to be able to maintain the House of Commons, or will the divisions inside the Conservative Party be so great that we eventually discover that there isn't anybody in the current parliament who can maintain the confidence of the House, in which case we might be precipitated into an early general election. That certainly has to be the back of, at the back of Tory MPs' minds as they try to work out who they're going to back and under what conditions. Right, Sir John Curtis there speaking to the BBC News Channel a short time ago. So what's happening then? What is happening then? Just for the crack, and because I generally get these things wrong, I posted to... Roger's Facebook page for the Richie Allen show because it isn't mine. I posted that I predict there will be a general election on Thursday, December 8th or Thursday, December 15th. Now, the consensus would be against me because the consensus would be what Prime Minister in his or her right mind, newly put in place, not elected, of course, not elected, but chosen by the Conservative Parliamentary Party, and maybe rubber-stamped by the wider membership. But what Prime Minister coming in would be foolish enough to take a general election that he or she would inevitably lose? Well, it's a stretch. That's a stretch. But what I don't think is a stretch is something I've been banging on about for a long time. And that is, these people are not really in charge. They're not really running the show. It's an illusion that uh, has propped up this constitutional monarchy for many, many centuries now, that these people are actually acting of their own volition and running things as they see fit to run them. I do not believe that. I believe that Starmer is the heir apparent, whether it's in December or whether it's next year. And I wouldn't be surprised if when the Tories announce their new leader, and they will do that a week on Friday, the new leader, of course, the brand new Prime Minister. I believe the media will wage a merciless campaign on the Conservative Party to call a general election. And the way they they do that, it's pretty simple. The Prime Minister will go to Buckingham Palace and ask the King, believe it or not, for permission to dissolve Parliament and also then for permission to go to the country. Presumably the king, like his mother did so many times before, will say, yes, absolutely, off you go on your bike and Godspeed to you, whoever it might be. I have a feeling the media will will wage this campaign. The Liz Trust was elected by the Tory party with no mandate from from the country. And to... To, to see Truss fail so spectacularly, this is the media speaking now, not me. I know that Truss is a puppet and that she didn't really fail spectacularly. Liz just did what she was told to do, in my opinion. So with the failure of Liz, again, we're looking at it from the media's eyes, the, it, it, will, be, it will be declared untenable that the Tories can go back to their pool of MPs, majority elected MPs, of course, and choose another one and say, right, here's your new Prime Minister, like it or lump it. I think the media will wage this campaign saying that the Conservative Party, the government's mandate has basically evaporated. It doesn't have one anymore because of the economic shocks and the cost of living crisis and all the rest of it. So I, I think Starmer is 
regardless of whether I'm right or wrong about December, he's obviously going to be the next Prime Minister. There's no doubt about that. And it's after that then, we'll have to wait and see. Am I right? Will Starmer do what Tony Blair did when Tony Blair followed John Major and 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 Margaret Thatcher? He basically took their po- policies, injected them with steroids and ran with the ball. And Starmer will do what the Tories did, but he will do it worse. That is my opinion. And at that point, will people say, we just can't keep getting duped. We've got to realise. I don't know. I've been having this conversation with several friends today. We're, we're, we're mystified as to why people expect things to change when Keir Starmer eventually takes the keys to number 10 Downing Street. But your opinion is equally as valid as mine. Of course it is. Tell me I'm wrong. RichieAllen.co.uk. That's my website. Top of the page comment live. I'm going to take a tune, would you believe, for a change? Yeah. I'm mixing things up all the time, you know. Yeah, I'm like a chef with a big mad bowl and a big wooden spoon and loads of ingredients. I don't know what I'm doing, basically. This is the wonderful blues traveller and... But anyway, you might remember this from a movie called Kingpin. Blues Traveller and but anyway. Hey, come here and I tell you, do you know Mark Boyersky of markboyersky.com who's a, a really, really cool dude and a lovely guy? Uh, he's uh, It's his birthday. Today is Mark Boyersky. And uh, he's 55 years old. Fuck off. No, he really is 55 years old. He really is. Fuck off. He is. I know he looks very young, but he is. He's having a massive party there in Mijas Costa this evening. Can't remember the name of the album. It's Russ Abbott's Party, is it? Or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah. But Mark Poyerski is 55. I'm going to say it 17 more times before the end of the programme. Happy birthday, Mark. Top man. He'll be back on the Richie Allen Show right soon. Incidentally, some of you reached out to me today to ask me, was the first caller on the phone-in last night a man named Steve? Was it, in fact, Mark Boyerski in disguise? No, it wasn't. Some of you believed... uh, that he sounded very much like Mark, that Steve did. No, it was Steve James from Rebels on Roundabouts in Stockport. He was sitting with his wife Sue and I could see them on the screen on a Skype thing. So no, it wasn't Mark. Why would we do that? Um, We're not that bored, you know. There's plenty of things to do. So stop asking me. Did Mark Pajerski phone in last night pretending to be a guy called Steve? That's a stupid question. It's a stupid question, I think. It's a stupid question. What a stupid question that is. What a stupid question. But I watch you a lot. You ask a lot of stupid questions. It's a stupid question. Stupid question, right? So don't ask it again. I've had enough now. Uh, Here's the maddest story I've ever heard in my life. Now that's an exaggeration. Is it though? Is Is it an exaggeration? I wrote about this today because I just couldn't believe it. Um, It broke yesterday. A guy went to court for child abuse. He was accused of child abuse, right? And he was accused of of assaulting a child under 13, penetrating children under 13 10 times, downloading extreme porn- pornography depicting animals and children, and possessing very, very disturbing images of girls. So this is a scumbag, right? I'm not going to be one of those... 
agents, you know, it, it goes without saying scum fucking bag, right? Right. Guy called Matthew Thompson. I I had to do a, a treble take to, to believe this. This guy pled guilty to sexual abuse. And because he pled guilty to sexual abuse, a judge called Judge Gibson uh, said, uh, you can be on bail. You might think, okay, okay, they bailed him, okay, but maybe they put an electronic tag on him and confined him to his home. No, no, no. The judge said that the guy who penetrated children and did all sorts of disgusting things, the judge said, yes, you can, if you choose, go to the Greek island of Kos for a week before you are sentenced. What kind of fuckery are you? Mm, I, I don't know what kind of fuckery that is. Let out on bail. Uh, he'll be sentenced on November 18th, a few weeks after he comes home from his lovely trip to the island of Kos. Now, I sent several emails today to various police and security authorities in Greece and on the island of Kos, I haven't received a reply, to alert them to the fact that this monster is coming to spend a week in the sun, presumably on beaches and by poolsides, where, where children will most definitely be present. You, you just can't believe that. And you cannot over-egg this. You know, imagine a judge says, yeah, thanks for saving us all that time by pleading guilty. Sure you can be on bail and sure you can go on holiday to the island of Kos. You hear that, Tom? No. Could you repeat it? Because I, I can't believe my fucking ears. Me neither. Um, I'd like to hear your thoughts. It's richieallen.co.uk. Comment live. Please comment live. And while you're now streaming, because there were connectivity issues again this afternoon on the programme, now that you are online listening to me on my website, can I repeat for the 5,000th time? Can I please? There are other places to listen to the show. When the website is slow, because at five to five, thousands of people pile in, and it is thousands, it's tens of thousands in fact, uh, when they're doing that, you can go and listen to the programme on tunein.com. tunein.com forward slash, and then it's something like the Richie Allen Show, but even better, go to fabradiointernational.com and choose Fab Radio 2. Keep it local. Alan says, did Steve call in pretending to be Mark Wierski? Funny enough, uh, Al, I didn't, I was listening very closely to what Steve was telling me, of course, but um, I didn't hear the similarity. But uh, if I did, and he wasn't on screen, maybe, I might have been wondering, but uh, I could see Steve on screen with his lovely wife, Sue, so there you are. John says, Mark is like me, he looks younger than he is. Joe Public says Starmer will be equally as popular as Truss. Charlie says it's all obvious now. To be honest, it's been going on for years. Thank you very much. Hi to Steve T, who says Keir Stalin. I like that. Dean Smith. Hi, Dean, my pal in Sheffield. He says, Richie, you made the point. He said, politics is like Coronation Street. Read your lines and get back in your chair. But if you step out of line, you will need to contact the likes of uh, Fortescue. Remember that, Tim? Fortescue. Yes. Yes, uh, anyone who was in trouble would come to the whips. Yes, 
it might be trouble with uh, involving small boys, yes. Uh, and we, we would do what we could to get him out of trouble because uh, we, we would store up brownie points. That's right, we would store up brownie points. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, let me translate. Uh, back in the 1970s, MPs would come to us to tell us that they were shagging young boys. Yes, and we would get them off because uh, we would store up brownie points and we could get them to go through the division lobbies and do exactly what we wanted them to do. Yes. <laughs> Disgusting bastard Tim Fortescue who's dead now. Right about now he's having a pineapple inserted up his rectum by Satan, hopefully. Millie says, Richie, what about His Royal Highness King Charles III? <laughs> Millie, don't start, because you never bloody know. Hi to Jilly, who says, oh, please, dear God, not Jeremy Chunt. As, as Joe Public has pointed out to you, Jeremy Hunt, the current Chancellor of the Exchequer, has ruled himself out of the running for the next leader of the Conservative Party. It's likely to come down to, to, to Rishi Sunak, the previous Chancellor, not the pre- sorry, the previous but one, because of course we had quasi quarting. It'll be Sunak or Penny Mordant, probably Sunak. And my terrible prediction, because I, I never get and I'm not, this is not modesty, you know this, I don't get anything right, is that they will be compelled to call an election, even though they know it's stupid, they'll do it all. Cool. Hi to Joan, who says, it's all a show and bad acting. You do better, Richie. Joan, let's wait and see that film coming out that I was in. We'll see about that. Uh, do you think Starmer is the next useless mouthpiece? I'm pretty certain of it. Unless they've got something else um, uh, planned for us. Diane Hughes. Hi, Diane. Lovely to hear from you. Yup, I have a sore throat as well, congested as well, says Diane. Ah, sure, is the time of year. But my pal Yvonne who came on last night, and, and my pal Wayne, they don't believe in the germs. That's fine. They might be right, for all I know. Uh, this is your Richie Allen show with me, Richie Allen. There's only one Richie Allen back in about 30 seconds time. Colds, seasonal flu and respiratory diseases, a nuisance, but we all get them. Now more than ever, it is essential to have a robust immune system. Inspired by the Zelenko protocol, Immune X365 is a unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immune X365 every day. As a special launch offer to UK listeners of the Richie Allen Show, you will receive a discount of 15% by using the code RichieAllen365 at checkout. Go to immunex365.co.uk to get yours now and with free two-day track delivery. The Richie Allen Show relies on your support. Visit richieallen.co.uk and make a financial contribution today. It is at 29 minutes past the hour. Thanks for your comments. Ryan Christian has stepped into the room. Love the man. It's great to connect with him again. It's been several months or, or even longer. Leslie says if the government cared about their people, they wouldn't keep getting voted out. When will people realise this? People need to write on their ballot papers none of the above. And Steve James has come into the chat to say, I can confirm that I am not Mark Bayerski and neither is my wife. Very good. Channeling some Monty Python there. Life of Brian. Bruce says, that's because the judge is okay with what that scummy feck did. An example of why the death penalty is required. Bruce, I don't agree with the death penalty, but I understand your anger. How could a judge bail a guy like that? Unless, as I said, it was under extremely tough conditions. You know, you must wear an ankle bracelet and you must be at home. No, it's all right. You can pop off to Greece if you want. It's, it's mad. 
I bet you Marilyn Hawes will have something to say about that a little bit later on. Shall we? Shall you and I speak? Shall we get on our first guest today and the first guest since the relaunch of The Richie Allen Show? He is a brilliant writer and broadcaster. I'm very proud of him. Um, always uh, thrilled to welcome him onto the programme because his output, his content is above reproach. He's the founding editor of TheLastAmericanVagabond.com. He is the one and only Ryan Christian. Ryan, welcome back. How are you? Talk to you again. How are you? I'm an idiot. I put the wrong fader up. Now we can hear you. <laughs> I'm making mistakes, Ryan. Don't ever blow up your studio and rebuild it because you just make mistakes like that. I have all these extra faders. I put the wrong bloody fader up. Listen, thanks for coming on, buddy. I know you're busy with um, writing and broadcasting and, and whatnot. It's a genuine pleasure. I mean that. Not blowing smoke at you. Well, it's it's chaos here in the UK. We we don't know whether we might see a general election this side of Christmas. It, it it would be the silly thing for any new prime minister to do because there there is more than two years left in the life of this current parliament. I know you know this, but yet I get the feeling that you know if there are so called powers that be, if there are manipulators, somebody wants Keir Starmer of Labour to be the next prime minister and to take on you know some of these agendas. It's it's just crazy times here. People are heads are spinning. Cost of living crisis. Can't afford to put fuel in their cars. Can't afford to heat their homes, and they are scared. Ryan, what's yeah. going on? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's very, very clear that there's an agenda playing out. That's not even trying to be hidden anymore from the average person. They're they're they're, you know, maybe sidestepping culpability, accountability for why or how. But at the end of the day, they're pointing at what's happening as I mean, Bill Gates even just came on, I think it was yesterday or today and with an interview and basically said, no, this is all bad, but it's all going to be good. You know, it's a means to an end, you know, letting it making it clear that as they're acting like this is problematic and because of Putin or whatever argument they're making, they're still pointing at it as a as a good transition, right? So it just if the overlap is impossible to miss, they want this to be happening, and I, I argue for the transition into the build back better, great reset kind of mindset. But it just just taking example of what's going on in the UK right now with Truss and, and Sunak and the whole very it's I mean it's an alarming transition if you even want to call it that. There's been a lot of people pointing out that you know Truss from the very beginning was. I, I mean, I had the same impression, even not being as tapped into UK politics as I am in the US, that she didn't. She seemed to be barely making it by. <laughs> and, yeah. and now, and but now the transition is is to Sunak, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and and already coming out of the gate aggressively saying, "Here's the new direction," and it's exactly what you might hear. I mean, don't forget, even before he was the one that opened one of the few, that rejected the plan to freeze energy companies' bills, or rather, the bills from energy companies to the average person before this started. Yeah. And now he's stepping in. And just going even further, uh, arguing we're going to be requiring businesses to stay the whole climate agenda overlap. And I just think that's not that's very clearly not what the UK people want. So how do we pretend that this anyway represents what the people want as opposed to what the corporations and the guiding hands actually make happen? I mean, that's we need to start realizing that our votes and the democracies we point at and the way that we see this is it's an illusion. It doesn't mean that it means meaningless. I always maintain that. Your vote, let's say, in, in a representative government that was true and honest is, is paramount. But that's not what we have today. And we need to address that problem before we can start looking at solutions. That's just the basic flow of these, right? We have to first accept that the problem before we can change it. Yeah, it's, 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 a good, it's good that you're saying that because I'd blow it all up. But, but, but you're right to say that in, 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 in another world where you did have men and women from areas of expertise, from, from, from areas of business, 
working in government for the greater good, then your your vote would would make a difference. You're right to make that. I don't make it often enough. What what you said about Sunak and Truss is right. I mean, Truss within within days of announcing that she was running to become leader, said that I I will put a lock on energy prices rising for two years. I will also lower taxes. So she said a couple of other things which didn't go down well. She said that she would take the freeze off of bankers' bonuses. So people didn't like that. But on the face of it, um, I think in the population, on the face of it, people were happy. Oh, thank God for two years, we'll, we'll have, we, you know, they will be expensive, but they won't get so bad that we'll go under and she'll take down uh, income taxes. So when she said this, Sunak said that this will basically bankrupt the economy. And of course, today, Sunak and his pals are saying, that they were were right, and you were right to characterise him as somebody who wants to remove locks on energy prices and who wants to remove uh, tax breaks for people and impose more taxes on them, based on this idea that it scares the market and it puts a run on the pound and and, and all of that. So that's where we are. And yes, it's it's probably a shoe in that Rishi Sunak will be the next um, prime minister. What he will do then uh, is is anybody's guess whether he'll try and hang on for two years or whether the media, Ryan, will pressurise him by saying, listen, you're the second unelected Prime Minister after Liz Truss. You've no mandate. You've got to call an election, even though he won't want to do that. And if he does, it could well be Starmer. But I mean, Starmer, I don't have to tell you, during the whole COVID thing, his Labour Party provided no opposition to the government. In fact, they were demanding that the government impose more um, austere measures, more lockdowns and and more restrictions. So the the picture is grim here. Can I ask you, and I I feel like I'm doing more talk, I should shut up, Uh, this is your uh, half hour. When we talk about the squeeze, I go to the supermarket, I'm finding it very expensive. I haven't had a chance yet since I've been back to ask um, a friend from the States, what is it like there, you know, the cost of living and fuel prices and stuff like that? Is it, is it, is it accelerating or getting as bad as it is here and as quickly? I, I, I don't, I mean, it's hard to say. It's all, I, I would argue that from my perception, it appears that the, the bills that I've seen in places like Ireland and the UK are, are <laughs> I mean, I would argue they're fake if I didn't know this was actually happening. It's just unparalleled. I've never seen $10,000 energy bill. It's ridiculous for average people. But I do see it happening here as well very clearly. My perception is that it seems at least more happening to a larger degree there. But I think it's going to be – it's the same problem that's building in different – two different degrees around the world. I think we're all heading in that same direction. Personally, I think I'm in a little bit in Tennessee and where I am. I don't feel like it's as much, at least as I can see it, as affecting my prices and so on. Because I know people in other states that are gigantic. They're having a much larger problem than I perceive or I see with like my energy bill, let's say, which is definitely higher than usual. But it just doesn't seem as strong. But the point is, all of this stuff is driving in that direction whether we're seeing it rise faster in certain areas than others. And I think that has to do with the the politics and the politicians in charge. And I personally think whether or not they're more in line with the agenda. Like, I mean, this is the point. Sunak himself, assuming that happens, which I think I honestly think is a foregone conclusion, is, I mean, you might as well, he might as well be the candidate for the World Economic Forum. Yeah. I just, I mean, I don't know why we can't make that. I mean, that's not even a questionable statement today. These people, I mean, how can we have them arguing and talking about people that pe- that the World Economic Forum through Klaus Schwab have cultivated since they were adolescents. And now they're, you know, what do you call it? Say he used the word penetrating their cabinets in regard to politics. 
I don't know why that's not concerning to people. Like whether you think he believes he's doing the right thing or not, you're talking about influencing politics, circumventing what we believe. I disagree with, but we, what people believe is their influence over the direction. So even if we believe that, how can we argue that makes any sense whatsoever? You know, so these are all very concerning directions that they're telling you are going to be worse for you. But for some unforeseen, undefined future, we claim will be better. I mean, and based on what we've seen through our history of our governments, why do we think that's the case, even if they believe that? I mean, did they free Libya? Is Syria, Afghanistan or Iraq any better than they were before they liberated them? I mean, come on. You know, we, we are the ones under sanctions right now. We are the ones being regime changed. We just have to see that. You are listening to Ryan Christian from the last American Vagabond.com. I know you um, browse Ryan's website, listen to his programs. I know you do. But if you're new to this program, uh, check him out. The last American Vagabond.com. Ryan Christian. Is there a single politician in the United States advocating for sitting down with um, Zelensky in Ukraine and Russian President Vladimir Putin to say enough's enough now? We can't carry on like this. We, we've got to do what we've always done at the end of an armed conflict. We've got to have a settlement and an agreement where we make some compromises and we all go home and lick our wounds. Because, you know, again, you, you made a brilliant point earlier on. If the vote mattered, like if you had people, if you had honest people. But, but the obvious answer to the situation we're in at the moment is for governments to say to Vlad and to uh, Vladimir, right guys, we can't, can't carry on like this anymore. Let, let's let's sit down and sort it out. Is anyone in your part of the world saying, guys, let's end this now? Well, there's a couple of ways to talk, to address that. I mean, I, yes, to a degree. I don't, off the top of my head, I, I don't want to misquote who is saying it, but there's varying degrees, I would say, I would argue more so. Well, it's pretty scattered across the left-right paradigm. For those that don't know me, I'm do not the two party illusion is something we need to address that these people are all in the same uniparty direction when it comes to war, especially. But I do know there are some of them that are arguing uh, that we should that there should be, a, you know, peace talks, let's say, to some degree that we should be discussing this, but not really at the end, still using bellicose, belligerent rhetoric around Russia. And, you know, it, 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 I don't buy it is my point. I, my, I guess my main thing is I don't put too much too much value on what these politicians say. Right. And so I so at the end of the day, I that wouldn't be the best person to ask about what politicians are saying, what about what they believe. I just look at action. Right. And at the end of the day, whatever side you're looking at, they're always pro-war. They're always anti-Russia. They're always, you know, even if the, the most what you'll get from these people. And we saw this during the Iraq war and everything else is the kind of middle ground where, you know, we need to come to some peaceful agreement and or whatever else it is. But at the end of the day, if you look at their full body of conversation, they're still arguing Ukraine is in the right. Russia is the one that did wrong and that this all needs to end where Ukraine gets what they want and Russia doesn't. And so that's not a peace talk. You're using flowery language. But what you want is Russia to leave and Ukraine to get what you want. You know, and that that's that's just an illusion. So it, I think what we need to see is this goes back a long way before what we're talking about. And I know you've talked about this and anybody who's barely paying attention can see that this has been driven into action, which doesn't mean that Russia hasn't. You know, I, I disagree with war in general. Doesn't mean you can't understand why somebody in their position would take the action they did based on what's happening. Remember the beginning of this, the idea of Ukraine joining NATO was a conspiracy theory. That's I right. mean, how often does that seem to happen within a month? where the very thing they shouted down as ridiculous is literally being justified today. You know, which again was a gigantic red line and should be for, for what we're talking about for Russia and Ukraine or Donbass and all this conversation. But yeah, so back to your question, I, I don't buy anybody actually saying that when their votes and their overall direction and their policy does not line up with that. 
So I just don't give too much credence to it. You did say to me earlier in the year when at the outset of this conflict, some say Russian invasion, others say conflict, others say justifiable Russian response to decades of harassment. And, and you know, I see all of the, I see all of the, I, I see that point more, more than any. Mm-hmm. You said to me that this might go on for a long time, Richie. I remember you said that. You didn't say it would. Um, you, 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 you don't deal in absolutes, which is why I love listening to you. You said there's a chance that this could become a quagmire. Is oh, it yeah. now? Is it a quagmire? And is it just going to go on and on? I, well, if, if the U.S. government, or let's just say the West and, and the, the World Economic Forum, you know, co-opt here is, is, is essentially get is it gets what they want from this, then yes. I mean, arg- I think the argument here, not even, no, let's just, let's move, argument's not the right word. I think the evidence shows that they want this. I mean, you can even listen to their think tank conversations, the things they pretend aren't like directly translating to policy action, which they are though, and that they will openly say, we want to create a situation where Russia is, is, is overcommitted, where they're extending themselves too far, the resources and so on. And that's exactly what they want from this. So it's, I would argue the safest bet, if you're just looking at it like, that 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 is what this will translate to where you know russia has already seemingly demonstrated that they have if they want to the ability to just completely shut this down sort of like we've seen in other fields of war where unless the u.s comes in uh, you know entirely over the top that it won't progress like we see with saudi arabia and yemen saudi arabia can't even tie its shoes without the u.s and the uk and other people directing what they're doing and giving them the weapons to do so so we're seeing the same kind of thing i would argue and so Unless Russia does something drastic, I argue, or gives the U.S. government what they want in regard to over the top action, which they would be justified in taking, in my opinion, at this point, then it will stay the way it is, essentially. Now, history, like if you're looking at Syria, not even that long ago, seems to suggest that Russia understands well what it, why it's important to not play over the top and play into what the U.S. government expects from what they pretend is still this Soviet mindset. Right. That they're going to want to prove that they're strong and come over the top. And and routinely in Syria, he showed that he's not that stupid, that he sees the game and he doesn't respond and they don't get what they want out of it. You know, and so that's kind of what I see this playing out now with the referendums that the numerous international observers, hundreds of them all said it was accurate and it was voted on and so on. And they just all they can do is go, we disagree. And you're a conspiracy theorist. You're right. So he's sort of winning that political game as he has been before. But I here's here to, to cut cut to the chase. I think my, my biggest concern here is that Zelensky or rather the Azov movement and those actually calling this calling the shots and in, in the controlling factions of the Ukrainian puppet regime will take action because they want something. They are the ones that want they don't want the Donbass people to be freely able to go where they want to go. They want to stop them pretending like they're liberating them, right? They want to, like they have been for eight years. They want they want the control of the areas they want. They want Russia and the Muscovites, as they call them, to be gone. And more so, they even argue they want to go further around the world, exactly the way they're framing Russia. In fact, that's what Ukraine's government is saying. So my concern is that Ukrainian's regime will take action, use tactical nukes, let's say, and that will force the U.S. government to pretend like they're responding because Russia did it. I mean, even Petraeus said that if something happens, they're going to blame Russia. Right. So that's my biggest concern. I don't think many want that. But just like with the Kurds or even the moderate rebels, as they called them in Syria, that played out many times where action was taken that the U.S. government, I argue, didn't necessarily want, but they were forced to stand by. That's the biggest part that concerns me. That aside, I argue it'll stay like this for a long time unless Russia pulls back. That that would be my guess. But again, as you said, this is all just kind of trying to read the tea leaves as we're watching yeah. it play out. And if you're and if you're right, of course, it, it will mean that the economic hardship that people are enduring now is going to become 
it's going to get worse and worse and worse over time. Oh, absolutely. And, and of course, that would suit this agenda. And this is the reason why you and I spoke in the past. And I don't commit to these theories. It's just a, it's just a question, you know, about the, the, the fact that the whole Ukraine thing is of itself, even though Russia does have a historic, genuine, legitimate grievance. But the fact that it all plays into the hands of these agendas, yes. I always leave room for the possibility that people are being manipulated, whether they know it or not, into doing these things. Maybe Putin was pushed, maybe, you know, into 100%. doing this. And, and, and you just don't know. I, and we could spend hours on this one issue, and I don't want to cut across you, but there are several other things I'd like to get your opinion on. Because your government is being accused by um, officials in Tehran, Iran, of stoking up tensions in Iran, particularly around the wearing of the hijab. Now, a few weeks ago, Ryan knows this, of course, because he's reported on it, but just in case our listeners have forgotten this, a few weeks ago, it was reported that the moral police in in, in, in Iran, in Tehran, I think, had beaten a girl so badly for not having the hijab on that she died. And this set off a chain of events, including protests and some celebrities around the world cutting their hair, which I, could, I couldn't understand that for the life of me. I don't, I don't know what that uh, means. But any, anywho, um, Tehran says that all of this stuff is being pushed by the West who are constantly trying to undermine Iran and start trouble inside the country. Um, I don't know what to think about this because I'm agnostic. I don't like people telling me what to do based on the idea that their God has told them to tell me what to do. And I think if women don't want to wear a headscarf, they should be able to go about in peace without a headscarf. Then I know what you're going to tell me because you're a bit of a genius when it comes to history. Uh, Pre-1953, women could do whatever they wanted in Iran. I know that. Before um, Mosaddegh was overthrown. So so what is the Ayatollah right? Is the United States or its intelligence agencies stirring up these protests? Yes, easily yes. But there, there's much more to unpack on this story. I mean, I think, you know, you could have long discussions about this. This goes back into history. Robert Inlakesh is somebody who writes for The Last American Vagabond. I Good highly guy. recommend you check out his work. But the, 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 re, the, the problem with this is that the, if there's a cultural misunderstanding for a lot of this. Now, for the, the right place to start here is that just first talking about the protest that just happened. First of all, the woman that was supposedly who did die, who was supposedly beaten, that never that was, in fact, proven not to be true. There's no evidence to suggest she was beaten. There was no evidence to suggest that she was tortured. She died of cardiac arrest. That's the reality. My first thought was, okay, what, when, when did she take the injection? Of course, people can call me a conspiracy theorist because even the Iranian injection still uses the, the spike protein. But regardless of that, that's, that's just me you know, throwing that in there for conversation. Who knows what actually happened? But what we do know is that there was no beating or torture based on the evidence that was proven and dissected by other people. But of course, the Western apparatus ignored all of that. Now, that's the first part. Now, and of course, we can leave open the possibility that there was beating and that was covered up and lied about and so on. But my point is always that they're the ones screaming they know for sure and not proving it. That's what we have to recognize. I'm willing to accept that it could have been lied about, but there's no evidence to show that it did happen. And yet they're happy to make that argument. Now, what we did see was an organic protest that Robert confirmed this. It's very clear that there were there are plenty of people like anywhere in the world. All right, let's not pretend like we're free of protests in this country, right? There's people that still believe that Trump was elected by the Russians and that, that Biden, you know, that they stole the election, both of which have merit to talk about. But the point is, interestingly, that we point over there and say, those people don't want the people in power. Therefore, we have to do something about that. Now, that's, and you can point out that grievance anywhere, anywhere, any country in the world. Now, people did rise up and people do have issues with the hijab and, and the concept and, uh, of the repress. And look, I agree. Let's put it that way. As an individual, if you don't want to, you shouldn't be forced to do so. And I'll get into the cultural point in a minute. But so that started people.
pushed back and it very quickly dissipated. You can also prove this. Now, what happened there, as always, and Caitlin Johnstone has great work about this in the previous, the most recent before this iteration of their manipulated outside protest. And you, again, you can go all the way back to Operation Ajax, as you mentioned, but that they have a history of doing this. And so we see it again. They step in. They, it's embarrassing this time even. I mean, worse than ever. They have a, they have a, girl, a woman that works for the CIA, gets paid by the U.S. government. This is this is on the record, by the way. You can see the, the, the record of the information of how she got paid over $600,000 from the U.S. government, who is currently the leader of this movement. And that's she's, I think, largely Kurdish is the movement that's being used. And we, of course, over know the overlap of the Kurds and how they're historically used by the U.S. government in Syria and elsewhere. So all that being said, it's clear that there is at the very least strong influence driving this from the outside by the U.S. government. That's why we see these wildly over the top woke protests in Iran, people taking their clothes off like you were talking about. Like it doesn't seem to overlap with what most Iranians believe is at the very least acceptable. Now, the problem there is we know that they're abusing that. They want this to happen. They've been actively trying to take care of this regime, this, this government for a long time now. So what's important to understand is that the cultural pr issue there is that after Operation Ajax quickly, for people that don't know, was when the U.S. government, and it's provable today on the record, the CIA, in fact, overthrew the government there. Now, they created a situation that was beneficial for pro-Western people and very, very bad for people, most Iranians, that did not align with that. Now, at the time, they were the ones changing these things in regard to the hijab and so on. Now, when the revolution came back and they took back their country, a lot of people wore the hijab that didn't necessarily have the cultural beliefs, but because they thought it as an anti-Western representation, right? So that's, they leaned into that. Now, of course, you could argue that that went too far if you believe that, or maybe that there were outside forces that then continued to make that. Either way, there's plenty of people in Iran that don't agree with the, like, what I mean, I guess for a Western perspective, let's just say the religious overlap with the political sphere, right? But that's not our place to stand in and make that argument. And there's plenty of people in Iran that don't think that it should change. So this, hopefully that's a, I mean, it's hard to make this clear in a short period of time, but at the end of the day, what they're abusing is our misunderstanding there, that we think we have the right to step in and change those things, even if they should be changed, there's still political processes that the Iranian people go through and do change things. This idea that it's some kind of fat, you know, authoritarian regime is not accurate. This is a you good point. A limited... Go ahead. No, no, I'm just saying you're, you're making a great point. What gives us or anybody else the right to, to tell people, um, you know, to change? Uh, I can't even find the words to this, but you've summed it up there. Who are we to dictate to countries? that they're committing human rights abuses and they must stop or, you know, we'll start covertly funding actions inside these countries. We're in no right. position to do that, particularly like as our own. Like the MEK, for example. Yeah, the MEK yeah. is the group they're, they're funding the most to take place of the group they're trying to remove, and that's on the surface. And this is an openly extremist group that was very recently on the U.S. terrorist watch list. I mean, it, it's embarrassing to pretend like that's they're worse in every way that they're claiming the Iranian government is operating. So why does that even make sense? They're far more repressive of, of like they're, they're people involved in their organization have to discuss and admit their sexual encounters with people. It's very strange. It's a cult. I mean, there's no hiding that. So it's very strange that they would push that. And one more point, if I could, the overlap with the U.S. government, let's say. Right. I look, I'm of the very clear mindset here that their government is authoritarian. They very clearly are. If you just look at their history, look at the governments they've overthrown and destroyed based on the idea that they were liberating. It, it's ridiculous. Right. But so we can still argue, though, that I mean, I, I, 
I feel very strongly our votes don't necessarily change anything, but people will still argue that we have an effect, right? That we can still vote and still maintain and have things happen on a lower scale. I agree with that, even though we can see it as authoritarian. So think about that in contrast, that they're arguing that Iranian is that Iran is this way, but yet like there's just the people have no say in what happens. That's just not true. I would argue at the very least, it's very similar to how our country operates. And it's just we just are manipulated by what I argue are the, the villains of today, the actual people that are are actively manipulating things for their own benefit and framing that for the good of the people. We're watching it play out with the Great Reset right now. Ryan Christian is our guest, the last American vagabond.com. It's exactly four, it is six minutes even to the top of the hour. We've got about seven, six, seven minutes left with, with Ryan. So I wanted to talk about uh, a piece in the Washington Post the other day. I can't remember. I wrote it down, but I can't find it. It should be here somewhere on my desk. But um, this new variant, BGGG or something, they're, they're, they're beginning to talk about this. And I, I've seen this happen several times, as you have in the last two to three years. Somebody starts talking about a new variant. Then you hear about it somewhere else. Then it goes quiet for a day or two. And then the world's media is talking about a new variant that might be good enough to beat the vaccines and everything else and it's 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 covid on steroids um we're hearing is is it any coincidence that we're midway through the autumn through the fall that we're now hearing about variants and we're now hearing about winter flu returning should we fear the worst in terms of are we going to get 2020 in the winter of 2022 are we going to be told don't do this don't do that wear a mask stay indoors yeah i mean it's already happening i don't know whether it will get back to the heights of 2020 and 2021, I don't, I, 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 my belief is that that's coming, that's inevitable, unless we, as a society, stand up and make it clear that this, I mean, cause we haven't done that, right? They've left this open to where they pulled it back and we act like that was a win. I mean, it's a, it, we did effectively stop the flow of the conversation. I think we've stopped that we've, you know, exposed the narrative, but their infrastructure is in place. All they have to do is hype up another story, like you're saying, and, institute mass mandates, lockdowns, and so on. Even though we've got an endless amount of information proving that all of those things not only didn't work, but were catastrophically bad for you, right? But I don't know if it'll get bad again like that right away based on this new variant or not, but the real point is that they could do that if they just wanted to. That's as simple as this is. And Danny Rancourt's research and plenty of others have made it clear. And I do think this, if you don't, whether or not you think that this is actually happening or not is important, but realize that it doesn't have to. It could be that it wasn't there at all. It could be that there was some small thing that was a different flu variant that they lied about or something new. Regardless, they didn't need any of this. They had everything in front of them using a PCR test that you can look back that called the the epidemic that wasn't in 2007, where the New York Times wrote about how the PCR test created an entire whooping cough pan epidemic, even though they had zero cases that were ever proven. And they realized that afterward. Right. This is something they know or the idea of combining flu and pneumonia with COVID-19 or the idea of jamming people into hospitals and, and nursing homes, which dramatically increased their risk. Like all these things added to the number. None of those things would be needed if this was as dangerous as they claimed it was or even there for that matter. The, pr the point is the evidence is there that if they wanted to, they could have made this look exactly like it did with literally nothing there than the flu. That's a fact. Now, I'm not saying I can prove that that is what happened, but the evidence shows that they could have done that. And I think we need to realize that's where we're at now, that they could just initiate the next argument. It could have been monkeypox. It could be next thing could be climate change lockdowns. We all see these yeah. possibilities circulating, right? To your point about the variant, I mean, it's not even just one. I mean, I've seen them talk about at least four or five different sub-variants. Isn't it weird, though, that suddenly we stopped having new variants and we just call all <laughs> Omicron sub-variants? Like, it's just so weird. I just yeah. think they want us hooked on the Omicron conversation. I think that's yeah. what it is. But it's It's mad, isn't it? And finally... 
the independent media, if 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 there is no such thing as a as a as a gay community or as a trans community, I don't think there is such a thing. Maybe we should stop referring to the independent media because there's independence within independence. I see some funny things in the independent media. I see people making all sorts of claims about vaccine deaths and vaccine injuries. So it's unfair of me to ask you because I don't expect you to know the answer. I certainly don't know the answer. But what would be a fair estimate? I mean, even if we forget the world and we just talk about the United States, what would be a fair figure, you know, to put out there to suggest that this is how many people have been terribly injured by the jabs or who have died? Do we have any idea about the States? I, you know, that's the sad part about this is that I think we true. I think truly nobody other than those covering up the data have the real understanding of how large this is. But that's that. My opinion would be that this is exponentially more catastrophic than we understand right now. Yeah. Like I mean, like undeniably all insurmountable. Like the entire. I mean, this is the largest thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it is all all encompassing. We're talking about the FDA, the CDC. I mean, we're getting to a point now where people like even Moholtra and these different Dr. Drew, <laughs> majorly mainstream people are coming out and going like, this is wildly dangerous, not even walking the middle anymore, you know? So my opinion is this is way, way, way worse than even people like us are aware of just yet. And I, and I, and it even is, I mean, that, that's a crazy thing to think about. And that's what the data shows. That's what the data actually backs up. But again, you know, it's hard, it's hard to say because this is all coming from controlled flows of information. You know, so why wouldn't we question whether that data is altered and lied about? You know, it's just it's so convoluted. And I think that's the problem today that we're all beginning to realize that they're they have they have a lock on this. The only reason we're cert we're getting around this is because of the people. And your point is well taken that there's I, I agree completely. There's plenty of people in the so-called independent media, which to the point I just made, like Dr. Drew, just suddenly making his own podcast Does that make him independent media now. I don't trust that guy. You know, so it's like yeah. I don't. There's a lot of people swinging into the independent media. I simply make the same point: whether they're independent or not doesn't mean that they're necessarily honest. Question everybody, right? But yeah, I, I think this is much larger than we realize, and I think that's why even the people that may not be aware of the true breadth of the agenda are right now desperately trying to hide their culpability that they're now realizing is there from lying, or rather, just malfeasance. I think you're right. right. People that should have known better, that maybe did know better, but that went along with the flow. Those people should be held accountable, right? But, you know, especially the people that lied from the very beginning. That's what I think. I think you're bang on. I think here, I can speak for Salford because I have a little bit of inside information, but they're really struggling to get the over 55s to come and have a COVID booster around oh, Salford. Yeah. And that's good that because it must mean that some you know, some some decent content must be getting through to people. Or even if it isn't, it, it could be just because people have got eyes and ears and they can see that exactly. people are getting getting unwell uh, around them. When when I mentioned The Last American Vagabond, I, I mean it. It's a fantastic uh, website and resource, thelastamericanvagabond.com. Uh, Ryan obviously mentioned Robert In Inlakesh, Whitney Webb. There's so many terrific writers and broadcasters. It's a terrific effort, mate. You've been doing it for years. And uh, it's more vital now, I think, than, than ever before as we head into this strange winter, isn't it? But um, Yeah, thanks. that's why we're being attacked more than ever. <laughs> no doubt about that. Thanks for your time, buddy. I know it's valuable and I can't wait till we do it again real soon. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Ryan. Ryan Christian, live from Tennessee, great journalist and broadcaster and all-round 
good egg, as the English say. Uh, check out thelastamericanvagabond.com. Do it now if you haven't done it before. Uh, my name is Richie Allen. By the way, this is your Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live from Salford, BBG Towers. Cold, seasonal flu and respiratory diseases. We all get them. Never before have your body's defences been under such constant attack. Now more than ever, it's essential to have a robust immune system. Inspired by the Zelenko Protocol, Immunex 365 is a unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. Immunex 365 has been specifically formulated to maximize the effect of each ingredient, giving your immune system an optimum boost. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immunex 365 every day. UK listeners of The Richie Allen Show can use their special 15% discount code RICHIEALLEN365 at checkout. Go to immunex365.co.uk to get yours now. Now with two-day track delivery free. Lovely stuff, lovely hurling as we say back home. The views and opinions expressed on The Richie Allen Show are those of the guests and the guests alone. They do not necessarily reflect the position of the host or other contributors. Yes, that's got nothing to do with Ryan, by the way. I play that from time to time for for those who, who you know, yeah, who don't understand the way media works. Um, what is it now? It's uh, coming up for three minutes past six. I'm going to talk momentarily with Marilyn Hawes from Freedom from Abuse, a wonderful woman who is a retired teacher and who had to deal with the awful reality that her own children had been sexually abused by their teacher. And it's one of the reasons she set up Freedom from Abuse. She wrote a book and she's been working tirelessly for many years to educate children, not to scare children, but to educate them that there are adults in the world and they are legion who would do them harm. The independent inquiry into child sex abuse or child sexual abuse was set up seven years ago. I can't believe that. It's a long time ago now, isn't it? And it's a long time. But then so many things have happened since then when I think about it. It finally published today and I would imagine it, it'll take some time for those who want to do it to go through the report with a fine-tooth comb. But the broadcast media, the legacy media, the BBC and others have taken out the bullet points of it. And I'll give you the bullet points in a moment and then we'll get Marilyn on the line and I'll be interested in your opinions on these matters as well. But I did mention a little bit earlier on, and again, I don't want to over-egg the pudding, but I did mention a little bit earlier on that uh, our friend Mark Boyerski has a birthday today, and he's very open about this, uh, so it's, I'm just taking the mickey, really. Uh, he's 55 today, and he's a really good guy who's done a lot of good things for people, including for me. So this is for him. He's old enough to remember this. This is Altered Images, and happy birthday. Claire Grogan and Altered Images, happy birthday on your Richie Allen Show, Thursday's programme. Right, let me give you the cliff, not the cliff, let me give you the, 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 Jesus Richie. Let me give you the headlines, okay? Child sex abuse is epidemic in Britain and it affects, it affects even millions of victims and also people who work with young people. And people who work with young people should be prosecuted if they fail to report child sex abuse. That's the headline today. It's epidemic in Britain, affecting millions of victims. And anyone working with young children should be prosecuted if they fail to report child abuse. If they fail to report it. 
Okay, this is the seven-year inquiry, the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse, headed up by Alexis J. And it said institutions and politicians had prioritised reputations over the welfare of young people, meaning that horrific acts were hidden away for decades while there were still inadequate protection measures in place. Terrible things hidden away for decades because institutions and politicians prioritised their reputations over the welfare of young people. Uh, It's one of the most expensive and certainly one of the largest investigations of its kind ever undertaken in the UK. It concluded that child sex, sex abuse is a global crisis where children would be at risk until urgent action was taken. It will be speaking in a moment to Marilyn Hawes from Freedom From Abuse. It's also important to point out something that we talked a lot about six, seven, eight years ago on this programme. The notion of an elite pedophile ring. Well, the inquiry found no evidence of an elite pedophile ring. None. Um, and that'll be interesting to, to get Marilyn Hose's take on that and also your uh, take on that. It found no evidence of an elite pedophile ring, but it did say, let me scroll on down, that there is ample evidence of individual perpetrators within politics. Isn't that interesting? No evidence of a ring, okay, of men or men and women acting together as a group to traffic children, to abuse them. No evidence of an elite ring, but there's ample evidence of, or they found ample evidence of individual perpetrators within politics. Uh, They interviewed 725 witnesses. It cost £186.6 million. And it investigated abuse in places such as schools, uh, children's homes, religious institutions and and whatnot. So it's a big deal, this. But it has gotten lost, of course, today in the wake of the resignation of UK Prime Minister Liz Truss. So we'll get Marilyn on. She founded Freedom From Abuse. I told you her story a bit earlier on. She's a former teacher. Um, She had to deal with the, the awful reality of dealing with the abuse of her own children But she's done, I think, a quite incredible job in recent years of educating not just children, but those who look after children, uh, how to spot, um, how to, how to, to spot the signs of child abuse and child grooming and child trafficking. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the programme, Marilyn Hawes. Hey, Marilyn, welcome back. How are you? Thanks, Richie. I'm I'm fine, thank you. yeah, what a day. I mean, on the day of... Do you know what's irritated me today, though, Richie, is that this is a monumental day for people who are, even as we speak, being abused, and survivors, and even some don't survive, and those who have really thrived. And yet, I looked at the news feed after Liz Trust resigned, and there was nothing about this. You know, it, it's always the bit that fits in the space when there's space in the media, and you haven't done that, and I thank you for that. Yeah, I mentioned just before I, I, I dialed your number that it did disappear. In fact, it didn't even really get much of a mention on the morning breakfast programmes this morning. No, it didn't. Not at no, all. No, it didn't. And, and lots of us in this industry have been looking eagerly. I was in touch with the press office there. And the thing is, I mean... Uh, what I'm really, what was the big success of this as well, though, was the Truth Project. And they interviewed, or people came forward, maybe over 6,200 people came and were heard and supported. And I, I went with some people to support them at the, at the panels. And it was so well done, so empathic. 
And these people were respected, they were heard, they were believed. And, and you could see people growing just through that experience. What concerns me is ICSA has no teeth. You know, they say criminal mandatory, but what is the penalty going to be? What are the sanctions going to be if you fail to report? Now, Grant Chat, how long will he be Home Secretary for? I hope he hasn't got any business cards printed because it's when the music yeah. stops, it's like music affairs, isn't it? Um, but he has already said, oh, yes, we'll come back to you in six months. Not good enough. Absolutely. This has been going on for nearly eight years. It is not good enough to say, oh, we'll now look at it in about six months' time or get back to you in six months. Nope. They could have appointed today a minister for child sexual abuse. That hasn't happened. Why hasn't it happened? Because they could have done that. They've appointed any other minister that keeps resigning and popping up again. They should have had this sorted. There needs to be somebody. We have Will Quince, who's the Children and Families Minister. Where's he? You never see him. Um, but this, this is what bothers me, that people need to be compelled to report but the problem is how are they going to know because there is still this resistance in schools in churches to you have to understand the behavior that you are looking at to identify the groomer and i am telling you richie there are plenty of schools with their heads still in the proverbial sand i went to see the bishop of my county today right i could Frankly, I could have slapped him. He had a handshake like a cold kipper, yeah? And he had the nerve. I have spent 20 years of my life, after what happened to my children, sexually abused by a person in the pew who was the, the, the church school head teacher. And he had, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. He had the nerve, the, the balls to actually say to me, oh, well, that was a long time ago. Does he think I've forgotten I have dedicated 20 years of my life to this. I don't get it. Oh, he said, where, where do you get funding from? I don't get funding because child sexual abuse is still something that turns on the air conditioning and people still want to walk away from it. And yet every single street will have a child abuser in it, online, offline. It is a pandemic. Even Alexis J said it's endemic. They said it's an it's epidemic, epidemic, didn't they? They said She said it's, it's an, an epidemic. epidemic. Let, let me ask you this. Marilyn, let me let, let me jump in because we've got plenty of time, but I want to get through a few questions for you. Um, okay. I'm a little bit cynical. I always have been. Could it be possible, and, and please, I'm not trying to be silly or, or conspiratorial, but might it be possible? It has been known for several days now that Liz Truss' time as Prime Minister was up. I think that decision was made several days ago. Do you yeah, think? Do you think it's a coincidence that on the day that a multi-million, well, £185 million inquiry that's taken nearly eight years, that on the day that this inquiry drops and there are some bombshell things in it, including about people like Peter Morrison and Cyril Smith and others, do you think it's a coincidence that they choose this day to tell Liz Trust oh, that she's it, got it to could, walk it, the plank? It, it, could, it, it could well be. I'll tell you something, Richie. When I started doing this, uh, back in 2004, I was sent a scheduled D-notice, right? And they come from MI5, and this is in Tony Blair's government. The corruption in this country is just unspeakably massive. And I'm like you, it would not surprise me. And on that scheduled D-notice were names that have since been household names. 
And the threat of the scheduled denoters, because I was like a bit like a lone wolf then, because I had done, and I heard Mark Easton on BBC today uh, on Five Live talking about what had happened with the inquiry, and I was in contact with him afterwards. And he, before he went to BBC, he did a thing called Judges in the Dock, and it was for Channel 4, and he was looking at corrupt judges circuit judges around the UK that were letting off sex offenders and child abusers, of which the one that let my guy walk was one of them, Judge Stanley Spence, right? And I went on this programme and I did this uh, documentary with him called Judges in the Dock. Four weeks later, uh, I started being stalked. I started having death threats. And I received a scheduled D notice with names in Blair's government like Cyril Smith that you've just uh, named, Lord Janna's name was on it. Uh, Leon Britton's name was on it. There were three or four others then too, I can't remember. And when I phoned my lawyer, I said, look what I've been sent. And he said, get rid of it, get rid of it. That, that is a real threat. And you know, even now, when I'm in London, um, the media said to me a few years ago, oh, we think you're safe now because you've been, you're quite well known now. And then you were like a lone wolf barking into the moon. So back really then, so, so, so back then you, you made this documentary about how judges were giving an easy time to paedophiles yes. Yes. and the intelligence yes. agencies got on to you and said, shut your bloody mouth, love. That's right. That's right. Shut up. That's right. Yeah, and I did it with Mark Easton, and it went out on BBC. Uh, it was a BBC documentary that went out that he'd been doing for 18 months. And when I took my, the guy, I got it as unduly lenient because the church school, you know, abuse of trust and all, all of that. And I, you know, then it was Rowan Williams that was um, in, in charge of the Church of England. And yeah. uh, I got nowhere with that, nowhere with that, even though it was a church school. And, um, <clears throat> and I just fought to get it unduly lenient because he walked out with a £200 fine. I mean, he said he was guilty. He was head teacher of a Church of England school. Unbelievable. And um, and I sat with Harriet Harman and we, we you know, it, it was a time. So for the bishop to say to me today, oh, you know, your story was a long time ago, like dismissing it, is that his attitude when he has victims of the actual crime coming to him? Oh, it was 40 years ago. It doesn't matter now. I never forget. Every day of my life, I am campaigning. How I am, anybody say I that? am helping people who have been in this position. I am pushing for schools to open their eyes. You, you cannot, uh, you cannot protect children if you do not understand the slimy behaviour of a groomer. I go into the prisons before COVID. I talk to paedophiles. Sixty-five percent of them choose their careers at the age of 16, 17, to be in the front line to work with kids. Hello, if I'm an alcoholic, I'll go to a pub. It's not rocket science. 65% of them, when they're 16, male paedophiles, 6 out of 10 or 7 out of 10, are already thinking about putting themselves in a career that will give them access to children. absolutely, absolutely. And when I've spoken to them, I have asked them, you know, frankly, in, you know, they come and sit in a little room with me, a bit the size of a lady's toilet, and I sit there, and they'll say to us, when did you start doing it? When did you start fiddling? Well, when I was about 10 or 11. And it starts in, yes, five, years six. They don't wake up one day at 25 going, oh, I think I'll have sex with kids. But you know it what? Hang on, hang on. Early. This is really, this, hang on, Marilyn. Just, I want you to bear in mind that this is not the BBC. I'm not going to kick you off after five minutes. I know <laughs> I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. You're you're doing what you've got to do, which is get some really important points in before the BBC or yeah. Sky kick you off. I've seen you on Sky many times getting kicked off. Um, I'm your Thank friend. You. You're not getting kicked off here. Thank you. We've got Thank plenty you. of time. 
you said they start when they're as young as 10. I'm going to be absolutely lynched by my listeners. A 10-year-old boy who um, puts his hand on a girl inappropriately, first of all, he's, he's very wrong and he has to be dealt with. But he's not a paedophile. What's going no, no, wrong no, no, there? No. What's going wrong there when no. a 10-year-old is, is doing no, something, what, something what, like that? What happen- no, let me explain. What happens is this overly sexualized behavior, right? This, no one is born to abuse, not anyone. So, and that's why we have to go back to the very early years. What happens in those early years, the first three years of a child's life, the first thousand days of a child's life are so important, the experiences they have. And if they're highly traumatized, if they've been abused themselves, physically abused, abandoned, neglected, whatever, and they haven't got resilience and they haven't got attachment, all things can go wrong. Now, if a child at 10 is over-sexualized and is noted as such and mentored and dealt with and helped, then that child can recover and everything can be fine again. But for some that have got so many complex, difficult lives going on behind their eyes, some, obviously not all, that would be ridiculous, some will go on and, you know, become that dark root. You can't, you can't, you can't get away from adverse child experiences, the impact it has. You know, a child, a baby of one, has already got or not got empathy. At one. Now, <laughs> abusers don't have empathy. You know, it's, it's, it is really important we get the parenting. If we really want to go back down to the roots, we've got to be better parents. And the parents need more support. The closing of the children's centres was criminal. Criminal, yeah. Those were the lifeline of so many young mothers, fathers, single on their own, young teenage mums having babies. You know what I mean? And it was so short-sighted when they closed that down. So the support and- is gone then. I, 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 I say that because... Look, I was brought up on a council estate called Ballybeg in Waterford. I'm a council estate boy, so I don't want to sound like a snob. I live in Salford now, and I regularly, I don't like saying this, but I regularly hear people screaming at their children. I mean, really screaming at them. I know. I know. There's a town near me, I'm not going to mention it, but I know when I do teaching it, I say, one day I walked to the bank and I heard 48 times various parents calling their children effing little bleeders or effing this, effing that, shouting and screaming at them. What does that do to a child? I don't like schools. I'm nice to be a deputy head. I don't like going into schools that I call shouty schools. And I've been in plenty where they cannot, they cannot control, manage the, the kids. I mean, I'm not saying you should run it like an army, but there should be respect and expectation, and that's what's missing, you see, on the curriculum. You can talk about consent all you like, but if you don't respect what that person is saying, and if you don't respect, then you're not going to understand consent, because you're going to say, I want to do it my way anyway. But what going back to the ICSA inquiry, the thing they haven't done that they should have done as well, is they should have immediately got rid of this three-year limit that's all you have if you want to make a civil claim about your sexual abuse. So say, for example, it hadn't got to the criminal court and now you're going to make a civil case. You've only got three years and that's ridiculous because the average person takes 22 years to come out and talk about it. And that should have been completely scratched. And, and that hasn't. So there's still it's 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 good in as much I thought it wasn't going to get as far as it had got. 
I, I was surprised that we've now got criminal and thank goodness we have. But what is that actually going to mean in real terms? Is it going to mean that anyone that doesn't report is going to get oh, a £500 mandatory fine or are they going to face life behind bars? And it I might be difficult. Should. It might be difficult to prove that somebody working in a play school or a nursery or somebody working in a primary school knew something and and kept stum. That might be difficult to prove. We can talk about that more in a minute if you like, but I want to ask you about a couple of specific things. Um, they said, this is very interesting, they said, we didn't find any evidence of a so-called elite paedophile ring, but there was, quote, ample evidence of individual perpetrators within politics. What do you make of that? Well, there is. I mean, it's top down. I mean, it's, it's the breadth and the width of society, you'll find it. And I'm sorry, then they should have done a bit more gigging because there are plenty of paedophile rings. It's like the Olympic rings. And I don't, therefore, I, I find that extraordinary that they didn't find that because they don't work just on their own. I found out after a time with the guy that, with my, my kids, you know, there were several other people in other churches that were friendly with him. Um, you know, he, he used to do a volunteer job at St Paul's Cathedral and he knew people up there. There are plenty of paedophile rings and I, I find it extraordinary that they didn't find any. Can you do me or, a favour? Can, can you, for our listeners who, who don't know, can you define paedophile ring? What does it mean exactly? What, what would be the dictionary definition well, work, of it? They work together. It's like a club. They work together. So if they're, if they're um, you know, they, they, they will even meet. I mean, they, they, you know, you can have a, a, a paedophile father who works with other paedophile fathers and they swap each other's kids. That's the ring. It's a circle. It's a club. You know, you, you get people that are into certain online images and they'll have a club where there's supply and the supply and demand around a ring. If, if, if you just think of how a club works, it's like that. There's always someone you know who thinks like you and you find out who they are um, and bingo, you're up and running. It's, it's not, it's just child abuse. It's as common as cornflakes, Richie. It, it truly is. You, I, I've done this for 20 years. I can see, I can see it in someone's eyes. I can see it in their body language. I can see people that are very, very skinny, people that are maybe very obese, people that have, there's so many illnesses that come from it as well with the trauma that has been held in for so many years. People that have got uh, blood pressure, heart conditions, diabetes, even dyslexia. There's trauma dyslexia as well. You know, these things, chain smoking, alcoholism, drug addiction, suicide uh, thinking. It all goes back to this terrible, terrible brokenness created by someone's purely self-gratification. That I feel I can do this. I mean, I have sat and listened to some horrendous stories in prison as well of total denial. It's never their fault. Complete narcissist. Never their fault. They feel entitled. So it's never their fault. So, so you would go and speak to these men, and they wouldn't have any semblance of embarrassment or anything. Not about at what? all. They not at all. They like to talk about it. They Jesus. like to talk about it. I, I would sit there, and and I, one guy said to me, he must have been about six foot. One guy said to me, "Well." You know, she was lying on top of me. I, 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 I couldn't lift her off. I went, how old was she? 
seven. I kid you not, he was six foot, weighing at about 14 stone. And I just laughed at him. I said, And he told you, you that think, a seven year old. He told you that a seven year old threw. He said a seven year old threw herself at him and pinned him down. Uh, yes, and he couldn't remove her. Yeah. That's the denial. I had another one that actually, I mean, how I didn't wring his neck, he actually looked at me across the table and said, you don't know what you're missing, love, till you've had sex with a four-year-old. Yeah, you told me this before years ago. Yeah, I, I, one before, I had another one that said, well, she came downstairs in her nightie with no knickers on. I mean, she wanted it three years old. When the... I mean, it's extraordinary, their denial. If they had, if they, if they came through that denial, if that actually was broken down they would then have to see and accept that what they have done and doing is monstrous. And they don't want to go there. I, I, I mean, I, I spoke to one guy, a friend of mine was a chaplain in the prison and she let me go in. It was six weeks before this guy was going to come out. And he'd done four years. And he says to me, I said, well, well, you know, what have you learned? He said, well, I don't know why I'm here. I said, well, let me just remind you, you were, you were having sex with 12-year-old girls. Oh, yes, but they weren't women, were they? I said, exactly. That's, that's, why you're here. that's, that's the point, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Let me ask and, you and this. Was... Sorry, sorry, Marilyn. I, I, I don't want to forget to do this. I, I know yeah. I probably shouldn't have cut across you there, but you can come back to that in a moment. But I've got to ask you because you said that you are open to the idea that there are uh, paedophile rings, and if there are paedophile rings, there might be paedophile rings amongst the rich and famous and influential. Now, oh, I've got it. Sure. Just, just before you come back. On that, there's a question here. On that, um, Carl Beach was fated and was kind of, kind of, kind of dragged around by, you know, Exaro Media and um, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and elsewhere. Um, and I was very interested in what Carl Beach had to say. And I, I'd spoken to people over the years who said said similar things to Carl Beach and 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 whatnot. And then all of a sudden. Carl Beach is denounced and, and Tom Watson, the Labour MP, is denounced for, you know, for conspiracies and all of that. What did you make of the the things that Carl Beach was saying at the time? He he, he talked about Dolphin Square. It's vague in my memory now, but at the time, I thought, is he deluded? Is he is it real? Is it is he making it up? But there is so much corruption. The I, I was a bit confused at the end, whether it was real, whether it wasn't real. But I also do know that the uh, authorities are perfectly capable of banging someone up and sticking them in, in a, a locked secure unit to just get rid of them. But what, what can go on is, is extraordinarily worrying and concerning and quite frankly, frightening, um, you know, to, to, to shut somebody up. But the other thing is, there was a story I that came through my Twitter feed the other day. I was on GB News. And um, someone said to me, a, a journalist, that, oh, it doesn't all match up what he's saying. I said, no, OK, fine. So even if 30% didn't match up and 70% did, that is still a massive problem. Now, I said, you have to bear in mind that people who have been massively raped for a long time of their life, maybe they within the church or school system, whatever, um, the brokenness, in their brain, in their mind, in their emotions, cannot be understated. I mean, and people do get hallucinated. People do get psychosis. 
it is, it is the damage of this crime. And I, I think mandatory reporting has to have a mandatory jail sentence because you cannot, you just as well go and stab someone for the, the, the harm you've done to this child. I said to this bishop today, you know what annoys me? I said, you're, you know, you read the Bible, presumably you're a bishop. I wonder if some of them do. I said, but if you look at the Ten Commandments, and you're looking at it from a religious aspect of what's going on in the church and the Catholic Church and all these other religions, you know, you have killed. That person has killed a child, killed its innocence, killed its trust, stolen its innocence. Yeah? It, 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 it's coveted something that wasn't theirs to have. And still, the Archbishop of Canterbury does not come out and talk about it. He will talk about gay priests. He'll talk about women bishops. But all we ever hear is, oh, profound shame. Well, that doesn't cut it, mate. It doesn't cut it. The thing about Carl Beach. And. Go on. I said to you, and you profound shame. And what do you go? How many times have you removed a priest to another parish? Oh, God. And you're talking to an Irishman. They did that as a, you know, as a matter of. It was almost like. Um, to a second nature in Ireland, if a priest was found to be abusing. Yeah. He was moved on, and we know that the 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 current pope's predecessor, uh, Benedict. Yeah. We know that he, in in his time as as a as a cardinal, I think, we know that he was instructing bishops in Ireland to cover it up. We we, we know this. This is well, disgusting. Absolutely, and it still goes on, and it still will. If we don't get a proper jail sentence and mandatory training as well, it because it's not fair on the people who can't identify a groomer because once you learn it, you know it, you can't mistake it because it, it, you, you, it's all in plain sight. You, you can't miss the signs. It's like a blueprint. It really is. I have, a, I have a form that I take in with me and I say to the people that are sat there, I say, here's a list of sort of like grooming behaviours, stage one, stage two. And can you look, can you look through it and they'll tell me what you think. They're, oh, yeah, yeah, I do that. Yeah, yeah, I do that. And they turn the page. Oh, yeah, that's me as well. It's a blueprint. You can't, you can't, that's why it's so important if we've now got one stage further to it being criminal, because it is criminal, then now let's make it mandatory, a mandatory sentence and mandatory training. So anybody that's working with children has got to have the training. And, and, and if we don't have that, I fear that what's happened today will be in name alone and not have teeth to actually bring that change. That's what worries me. Because if you go back to Victoria Colombier, do you remember that little black girl, sweet little thing yeah. from all those years ago? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Killed by the auntie, you know, identified by a taxi driver, thought something wasn't right and took her to hospital. Thereupon, bless her little heart, she died, right? Lord Lanning wrote the most brilliant report with recommendations following that, of which 70% has not been adopted. And that report was brilliant. I would urge anyone to read the Lord Lamming and you'll find stuff in there that has been currently going on over the last 20 years that will also be mentioned in the extra inquiry. And my fear is a year, two years from now, how much will this have been actually actioned? That is my fear. Well, you yes, said you said earlier on, and I think you, you, you mentioned earlier on, I think you're right to be concerned. You have this mess in the Conservative Party at the moment and then there will be a new Prime Minister a week on Friday but then there may very well be an election maybe this side of Christmas, maybe next year and this doesn't bode well 
for implementing the recommendations of, of Alexis J. But I just want to go back just momentarily to Carl Beach because this is very important. Carl Beach is, is serving an 18-year jail term. He named lots and lots and lots of famous people, um, political yeah. people and military people. Um, it was investigated by the police. They called it Operation Midlands. They did this for 18 That's months. Right. They said they couldn't find anything. Um, I believe, in, then eventually they said that Carl Beach himself was a child abuser and he's been locked up. What I can say without fear of contradiction is he may have incorrectly named people and he may have been given names. Uh, you know, he named one or two people. I won't mention them, to be fair to them. I won't mention the innocent people he named. But he did name Leon Britton. He did name Edward Heath and he did name Greville Janner, all three of whom were were so, so, sadistic child abusers, each and every one and, of them. Yeah, and I, Ted Heath wasn't on my list, but Janet most definitely was, and so was Leon Britton, and so was Cyril Smith. And they were on my Schedule D notice, and, you know, up to their neck in it. And, of course, the police, you've got to think again, you've got people right at the top, the chief constables, the superintendents, the people in charge, who, I'm, not, I'm sorry to say this, but maybe members of the Freemasons, the secret society... You know, um, <laughs> I don't trust any of them. Well, can I just I, say I, this? I, can I just say this, uh, Marin? This is really important. Greville Janner, um, I, I, I think certainly in later in 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 his later years, there was a reluctance, I think, amongst in certain areas, in, among certain people, to investigate him because of his religion. I've no doubt about that, and I've I've had this out with some of his supporters. But here's the thing about Greville Janner, which I've never understood. Janner was known to be a paedophile. He was known to be a paedophile in Leicester many years ago. It was an open secret. And he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 2009. Now, when all of this stuff came up that Janner was a paedophile, he was still alive. Um, A judge said in 2015 that Janner was incapable of testifying uh, on his own behalf and he was incapable of understanding the seriousness of the charges against him because they said he had developed Parkinson's disease. So he had Alzheimer's, then they said Parkinson's. But a very strange thing about that was when they were telling people that Janner was incapable of understanding the charges and incapable of giving an account of what he did and what he didn't do, he was actually going to the House of Lords and collecting £300 a day. And then shortly after that, it was announced that he was dead. I mean, I mean it's, it's filthy. People must think we're stupid. Yeah. I mean, but when you look at, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, when I got this Schedule D notice with that name on it, these names had not come out as they ended up doing, yeah? Um, I, I remember going on Sky Newsnight, um, and what's her name? Esther Ransom was on it as well, and Tim Loughton. I liked Tim Loughton. He was there. And, um, and another guy, who, a lady who knew Jana, right? And she was adamant that she'd never seen anything. And I was like, well, of course you didn't see anything. You're not supposed to see anything. That's the whole idea. No one, no one can say they know anyone well enough that they could lay their life down and actually say that person isn't an abuse. You've got no idea what people are doing. You don't know what your next door neighbor's doing. You've got no idea. You know, and how much of the online stuff is going on? You know, I, and I, I agree with you. It could well be something announced today to get, you know, because it came, her res- resignation came an hour after the ICSA report came out. An hour after, yeah, yeah. And you could well be, 
could well be nothing, nothing would surprise me. I mean, and just moving aside a little bit, only yesterday did we not see, because you sent it to me and I, I'd seen it as well, that an admitted paedophile was allowed to take his holiday in costs before he's convicted. How do you how do you account for that? How does that happen? Well, the judge, isn't it? The judge has allowed him to go. A com- a committed admitted paedophile. Oh costs an island, you know, Greek islands where there'd be children in little swimsuits. Excuse me? You know, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. It goes back to what you said earlier on about judges being lenient on paedophiles. Is it in you know, in some sections of the judiciary, is there no abhorrence at these crimes? Is there no disgust at these crimes? I mean, do some of these judges just not care that these guys have abused children? Well, when my guy got walked and I realised Stanley Spence was, you know, on Mark Easton's list, I went to see who was then Lord Faulkner. I spent two and a half hours with him and I said, you, you shouldn't allow, if you've got a judge that hasn't convicted properly and like in our case was seen to be unduly lenient, that judge should be taken off the bench in these crimes. They shouldn't be allowed. They should go back to judge school or whatever it is and have their ticket removed until they understand that it's not, oh, a little tweak on the knee, character building stuff, ho, 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 that happened in my boarding school. You know, it's not good enough. You can't have this happening and coming through the ranks. You cannot have it. I don't know if you remember many years ago, Dolphin Square. Yeah, Dolphin Square, Dolphin yeah. House. Oh, the great and the good going in there. And when it was raided, all the little cameras had been taken down and stuff went missing and removed. You know, what was the truth there, I wonder? Like we don't know, really. And it's it's a seedy, dark, horrible, toxic world that I work in. I get no funding. I, I, I you know, I care passionately about the well-being of people and they should be recompensed. You know, if you've been if you've been abused by somebody in the church, the church has got money, don't tell me it hasn't got money. Of course. And and you know, people should be given if you've if been abused, all these people that have come through with the truth project, they should be recompensed to have the proper trauma therapy, even if they're seventy years old, that they need, or money that they can because so many of them have such bad addictions, they can't work, that, you know, they can't find a life because they can't earn money. And for some people, they're more resilient, they, they are more able to, to maybe deal with it, and others can't. You, we are all individuals, we all have different sensitivities and, and different depths of anxiety. Some can bounce through, some can, and some can't. And there's no point in saying to me, oh, all I had was this. You you don't know. You don't know how sensitive somebody will be. My friend was touched up in Guildford Library many, many years ago. 25 years on, she still can't get out of her brain. You know, you can't you can't ever say, oh, um, you know, low level abuse. Abuse is abuse. End of. End of. Marilyn, where can people find you online? But if you're listening to this now and you were sexually abused by someone, do not believe you are the only one. You're not alone. Because this person has it in their DNA. Where can people Never find you online, phone. Marilyn? Just just before we wrap it up, where can people find you online? Freedom-abuse.org. And please, anyone that's listening who's been abused, my heart goes out to you. 
Um, we have therapists that can help. Unfortunately, we never get the funding. I'd love to have the funding to be able to pay for someone to have the therapy, uh, the right therapy, you know, proper trauma therapists. But, you know, I never believe it was your fault. Never believe it, it will never be your fault. And, and, and never believe that you can't, you can recover, you can recover, you just need to find a way forward. And I mean, I've looked down that dark pit uh, when my yeah. children were abused and, and wanted to take my own life. I know how it feels. It's the most vile crime you can do to a child. It's vile. It, it, I, it's unspeakably awful. I'd rather and be murdered, to be honest. You want to do yeah. it. You can go to the Lucy Faithful Foundation. You can go to Stop It Now and stop you in your tracks from the heinous crime that you think you're going to commit. Marilyn, thanks for coming back on freedom-abuse.org. You've been listening to Marilyn Hawes. Thank you so much. And people, please, never your fault, and you will be believed this is 2022, not the dark ages now. You speak out. Speak out. No more silence. Thanks, Marilyn. And bye for now. Marilyn Hall's there talking about the release of the ICSA report today. Yeah, I felt a bit bad asking that question, really. I did, honestly, because I don't know that they delayed the resignation of Liz Truss to coincide with the dropping of the report. I can't. I couldn't say that. You know, I don't know, but, but I wouldn't put it past, past them. Because there are some damning things in there, you know, about it being pretty rife in politics. There's, off, there's also um, mention of Peter Morrison and, and Cyril Smith and others. So, yeah. The Greville Janner thing was it was incredibly strange. I, I reported on it extensively back in 2015. And I spoke to some Jewish uh, people I know in Manchester, not my accountants now. I've just got to say it's not my accountants but some other people who knew Janner. He was a a notorious paedophile, Greville Janner. He was, and and that's the end of it. I wrote an article about it, and uh, there was a little bit of trouble at the time. I think one of his children got a bit pissed off about it, and I didn't didn't lose my rag. I didn't get annoyed. I just said, look, all the evidence is there. You you know, your old man was, was doing all of these things to children over so many years. But Janner was interesting because... When they said he was incapable, he didn't have the capacity to testify for himself. Uh, At the time they said that, he was still, or he had been, leading up to that time, he had been driving himself to appear, not to appear, but to take his seat in the House of Lords, which at the time was a £300 a day gig. I think it might still be, I'm not sure what the peers get paid to turn up at the House of Lords, the upper chamber, but um, rotten stuff really, isn't it? And you know, um, I can't say too much now, but but I will say this in, in terms of, I was going to talk about something I was doing at the weekend with Hayden, but I won't get into that. But over the years, I've interviewed one or two paedophile hunter groups out of curiosity. Why, number one, would you be putting decoys online to try and attract paedophiles. Why would you be doing that? Um, You know, you might think, that's a stupid question, Richie. They're doing it because they want justice. Yeah, yeah, okay. But it's more complicated than that, you know. Why would you not gather the information and give it to the police? Uh, But the paedophile hunters were adamant that the police weren't working quickly enough and they were putting decoys on websites, in chat rooms and, and, and stuff. 
And they were telling me that once they put a decoy online, now a decoy would be a man or a woman pretending to be a child. And they were saying that these guys, these paedophiles, these genuine paedophiles, would swarm all over the decoy within a matter of minutes of the sting beginning. You heard Marilyn Halls there say that it's it's a pandemic as much as an epidemic. The chair of the inquiry said in the report that it's an epidemic in the UK. Is a, is a, is child abuse. I didn't get a chance to talk about you know grooming gangs and the preponderance, the preponderance of some young Asian men. Uh you know, to be involved in in grooming gangs. These days, some people think they have to be very careful when talking about this, lest they be accused of xenophobia. But uh, we know that there is a problem amongst some young Pakistani men and grooming. And I've not had any chance, because it was only dropped today, the report, to go through it and to look at how this was dealt with. You know, the street grooming gangs and stuff like that. Uh, hi to Richard Kelly, who says Marilyn is a great and, and powerful lady. Uh, thanks for that, Richard. Uh, Bruce says this is the 80 slash 20 rule, the 80 20 rule. Uh, 20% look into this subject and 80% do not. And on and on it goes. The thing is, we are up against it, he says, because most people are incapable of looking beyond their own personal bubble. Thanks so much for that. Then Pandora sends a link to crimeandinvestigation.co.uk and a story about Robert Maudsley, otherwise known as Hannibal the Cannibal, allegedly the most dangerous killer in the UK, and and he's here in the UK as a prisoner, uh, in prison in this country. And she says, because as a former victim of abuse, he kills only child abusers when he can, she says. Joe says convicted paedophiles need to be physically castrated, in my opinion. No, I don't agree with that. Once you start going down that road of mutilating people, you become as bad as that which you seek to to prevent, in my opinion. I think you use every resource you have as a society to make sure that a child abuser never gets anywhere near a child again you do everything you can, and you do it properly, but I don't believe in mutilating people. In fact, I have read somewhere previously that, and I don't know how true this is, but that chemical castration, which is where drugs are given to a sex offender to basically suppress his or her libido, to suppress the attraction. I've read somewhere before that even the most powerful drugs applied to the chemical castration process don't even work, I've read. Jesus, in some cases. Diane says, it's obvious, really, pedophiles are attracted to jobs that will give them access to children, just like animal abusers gravitate to factory farms and slaughterhouses. Now, there's a football club in Waterford City called Hibernian. And I, as you well know, I was never any, I was never much of a football player, me. I tried, God love me. But I did um, play for briefly and for, for quite some time I coached young football teams at, at, at Hibernia. Now I would, have, I would have done this between the age, I would have been 19, 20, 21, 22. That's when I would have done it. I would have looked after 
underage teams, under 10s, under 11s, under 12s. And then I would have looked after managed. Managed is a catch-all term for I carried the footballs. I washed the jerseys and the shorts and the socks and did the laundry and organised a, a, a van to drive the lads to the away games. That's what we class as managing, at least when I went, when, when I managed, because I didn't have any coaching qualifications. But I was aware at the time, 1920, I was aware of the danger of being alone with youngsters. You know, even then you were hearing things about coaches and, you know, I don't know, scout leaders and stuff like that. And I was clever enough when I started that I used to insist that uh, at least two parents, different parents, would stay and observe all of the training sessions that we did. We trained on Tuesday nights and Friday nights when they were very young. The older lads trained a bit more often, but the youngsters trained on Tuesdays and Tuesdays and Fridays, I think, they came in. And some of the parents thought that we were a babysitting service, so they would drop the children and then leg it for a couple of hours. And I would say, no, piss off, two of you are going to stay or there is no training. Um, just to cover your backside, basically, so that nobody could say that you were, you know, hanging around the dressing rooms when the little lads were getting changed which obviously we never did. We never went any, anywhere near the dressing rooms when the boys were getting changed. But it was a kind of a sad thing. You know, this was kind of 90, this is kind of 97, 98, kind of 99. And you could see this was creeping in, this horrible suspicion and this awareness of the danger, of uh, the dangers for children and also the dangers for people who work with children. I was very much aware of this and, yeah, I never did. We took them away several times to England to watch football matches and we had in place, you know, very serious criteria about how many parents would come and, and minders and where the children would sleep because sometimes we would use, like, uh, youth hostels and stuff to stay in. But um, it's kind of tragic, really. But, um, yeah, yeah. That's how it was back then. I remember it well. I remember it well. These days, I think, if you want to work with children in any capacity, you've got to get clearance. And there is a form or a certificate that you obtain from, from the police. I can't remember what it's called. But it's a certificate that basically states that you, as the volunteer who is going to work with children in the girl guides or in the scouts, it states that you have never been investigated or have never had any convictions for for assaulting sexually or otherwise uh, children. You know, I would have thought that things were getting better when it came to protecting children, but apparently not. Marilyn Hawes is pretty adamant that that's not the case. So there you go. Thanks for your messages, by the way. There are lots of them. Hey, listen, I don't know if you're excited about this. You're probably not. You probably couldn't give an arse, really. But I'm really excited. Sunday Morning Melodies is back uh, this coming Sunday at 10 o'clock in the morning. 10 o'clock in the morning. Now, it's totally different to this programme, right? It's just me, you, a few nice tunes, a bit of chat, little bit of newspaper rundown, little bit of sports talk. We might talk about the telly, we might talk about films, but we'll talk about some good music. So that's Sunday morning at 10 o'clock on richieallen.co.uk.
very good. Joe says there is plenty of proof that a former US president was involved in child trafficking in Haiti. I'll tell you what, Joe. I don't want to be disagreeable now or, or I don't know, contradictory. I understand why you're saying that. There is certainly a lot of suspicion about a former US president and his wife and their endeavours, shall we say, in the third world, especially after disasters. I hear you loud and clear. But proof is another thing. Maybe there is proof and maybe certain people looked the other way and didn't do anything with that proof. But um, I hear you. Elite paedophile rings, powerful paedophile rings. Well, the answer is obviously yes. If Marilyn, if there are grooming gangs operating around in and around the Northwest, whether they be of Asian origin or, and this is not exclusive to, to Asians or to Pakistanis, it isn't, of course not, Jesus. It's not. Um, grooming gangs come in all races and all sizes, all ethnic backgrounds. But um, if you take it as a fact, as a given, that a grooming gang is a real thing where men work together operating using, I don't know, encrypted phones and whatnot, well then it's obvious that wealthy men and women are as capable uh, of doing these things as anybody else. And if that is the case, well then you're bound to have powerful people or people who, you know, who do have power, who abuse children who would operate or move in groups with other people who do those things. So the existence of elite paedophile rings for me is an absolute given, whatever the independent inquiry into child sex abuse says. Hey, listen, that's pretty much the end of the first proper week back. It's weird because it doesn't really feel like I've been away. All of that hassle over the, um, you know, two and a half months, which I said I'd never mention again, but it really doesn't feel like I've been away. I kind of feel, it feels kind of good to be back. It feels normal talking to you today between five and seven. A big thanks again to uh, the one and only Marilyn Hawes, freedom-abuse.org. Thanks to Ryan Christian, thelastamericanvagabond.com, top man and top lady. Uh, really appreciate them. And once again, happy birthday to Mark Boyerski. I hope he's enjoying a tipple. I'm not sure he's much of a drinker. I don't think he is. He looks after himself. But I hope he's having a brewski tonight too to celebrate that milestone. Have a great weekend, wherever you are and whoever you're with. And please, if you get a chance, do come and join me on Sunday at 10 for the Melodies. I'll be waiting for you. Bye now.